Hello, everybody. Live from a frosty day in Koreatown, it's the Ozone. I'm your host, Omar Miller. I'm here with my brother, Terry Miller, also known as the Icons with a Z. How you feeling? Of course, I feel great, Batman. That, that's awesome because you are arthritis-free. If only I could say the same. If only I could say the same. <laughs> well, it's been raining a lot here, folks. I'm over it. I don't live in London or Seattle for a reason. And uh, I'm hoping it'll warm up soon. Hit me up with any suggestions of where I should go to catch some sun. You can call our line anytime at, uh, what's our number, guys? 310-254-424-424-254-9663. That's 424-254-9663. So, uh, great day today. We We have a special guest coming in. We have a four-time Gold Glove winner, six-time Major League Baseball All-Star, Kenny Lofton coming in to talk shop, to talk about the current state of the union. He had some controversial statements that he made that we don't think are controversial at all because we happen to agree with them. You know, I'm looking at his stats, and I, that last season that he played, if he he had 28 plate appearances and he ended up batting 222. I think he would have been a career 300 hitter if he wouldn't have played that last, got those last few at-bats. You sound Dave, like Dave right now. You know, it's funny. It's like he just never. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just. I'm just like, gonna... We talk to him about him when he, when he comes yeah, in. Let's I'm, speak I... on it about him. Uh, and, and, you know, and there's a lot of fight action going on. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of action that's happening with the zone. I, ha- I can't front. The zone is trying to take over. They have, pretty yeah, much. They're taking over, and let's get right to it. So this weekend, The Zone has Bivol. Uh, Bivol's fighting. He moves straight from HBO over. But the big news is that, uh, you know, former unified champion, middleweight champion Gennady Golovkin, a.k.a. Triple G, has moved to The Zone. And I don't know about the deal. Seems like he's getting paid because The Zone pays people. They got said a six-fight deal. Dude. Six fights, three years. Every fight is a guaranteed eight figures. It's good money. That's good money. That's a long time. Yeah, I I think that they're going to. I wonder all that money guaranteed. All of that money is guaranteed. Now they're trying to bring Klitschko out as well. They're trying to bring. I mean, because those guys have universal appeal. They sure do. You and know, they can launch yes a, a um, an app yes. And so what I think that their theory is because you can tell by their model that they're trying to get global superstars. It's yeah, not, not a guy just just not regional states or anything like that because. What Floyd always had done was sell it as an A-side, B-side, whereas he would fight a Pacquiao who would bring a whole country to watch his fights, or he would fight a Canelo who brings a country to watch his fights. I think a, a whole Latin nation, yeah, whole, not even just a, a country. Yes, yes. And so then in that, you, it always— Conor McGregor, same yeah, thing? Yeah, it always looked like Floyd was bringing you know, the, the audience. And I think that it was more so the people he was fighting against was bringing the audience. Of course, you want to see Floyd, and a lot of times people want to see Floyd lose that they were watching, but— it was more so them going for a global appeal, and I think Floyd had hit it on the head with that. Because he- Yeah, I think what you're trying to say is that you have to give the guy credit because what he did is yeah. he, pioneered a, he pioneered a system where he may have sold it as though he was the only one selling the tickets, but he chose uh, exactly. opponents who had their own sets of fans who then in turn boosted all those numbers. Exactly. And the, the numbers are undeniable. And he did the numbers, and he did them with a lot of dancing partners who have built their own 
uh, a fan base. Mm-hmm. More so people say uh, who have a fan base that want to see them win, whereas Floyd's fan base was always mixed. The people who did want to see him win, the, the, the money team nation is really big. Uh-huh. And yet also a, a ton of those people would tune in and are willing to pay on in hopes of seeing him lose, which is why Las Vegas was always so willing to court him to be on. I, I feel like, wow, I feel like we must have heard People must hear that we're we're talking about boxing is in the air uh, because our boxing our boxing reporter wants to call in. Reporting. What's up, Ellie? I'm here at Goose and Jim watching some sparring, but we're good. So tell me something, man. We got big fights this weekend. My man, Sean Showtime Porter, one of my favorites in the game, uh, a great all-around guy. I love the fact that he trains with his dad. I love the, the Porter way and how they are. Almost lost his, his title on the scale yesterday. What in the world is going on? What are you hearing? What's the word on the curve? Word on the curve is that they, sometimes, many times, fighters take a, a bath to uh, to sweat, and they put some salt in there, and it helps them make weight. And what I heard was the water at the hotel wasn't hot enough, so they had to go to another place, do that, like a sauna thing, and then he made weight. And they, they cut his braids. But it is, it's is—it's more embarrassing than anything. It, it doesn't he, look professional. Correct. But he made the weight, and he does have his title. But it just looks bad because people say, oh, you're professional. You're supposed to make it. So – he made the weight in the end, but for those two hours when he didn't make weight, it was the big story of the day, which nobody wants that kind of attention. But he's a great kid. His dad's a great trainer. And we'll see tonight. It's no easy task. It's no easy task. I like Ugas, to be honest. He's got big pop. I don't necessarily think that he's ready to face the intensity of Sean. But if there's a way to beat Sean Porter, in my opinion, it's the way that Kell Brook beat Sean Porter which is to keep him at bay and his relentless pressure at bay with the jab. And tying him up. And tying him up and making the fight ugly, which Sean is willing to do because he actually, his fight is ugly just because he's so intense and so inside. I think he might have the most stamina out of any boxer in, in boxing. I agree. He's, his motor never stops. That is true. He keeps coming. He's, he's in your face. There's no, there's no wiggle room. There's no room to squeeze in a, a, a sardine in there when he's like, I guess he's, <laughs> he's, he's just on you. He's glued on you. So it's true. But, but again, now let's go back to the, to the weight thing. If he struggled to make weight, which we don't know, let's say it was a little tough. Did it take out of him too much for tonight? Now, I, I agree, and one thing that uh, I, I spoke to a friend of mine about, he brought up a great point, actually, a Carson native, which is, you know what? If it was a normal Los Angeles night or a Vegas night that was hot, I think that'd be a bigger factor. Right. And the fact that it's cool out in L.A. today actually is going to help him on the rehydration status for, for the day leading up to. But there's always that factor. Being, you know, uh, dry and sucked out is, is never necessarily good for your for for the day of the fight correct so um we'll see tonight that's an interesting one and then a week from tonight is another very big fight which the odds started out mikey garcia earl spence eight to one which i thought was kind of close because the way they were talking about mikey in the beginning now the odds are down to three to one and when i go to different gyms like here today gym, when people were betting over the fight just amongst themselves they're betting 50 like there's no odds, like just straight, straight up. Unreal. That's wow. unreal to me. Really? And I love Mikey. Mikey is in the top five of my pound for pound list. Yes. And I just don't see how Mikey beats Earl Spence, who will probably come in on fight night close to 165 170. or 170. I just don't see how he can I don't I don't see how he can mitigate that size difference. His skill, I will say, is superior to Earl's. Because his Mikey's, Mikey's boxing skills are, un, are he's at the top of the the, the heap, uh-huh. but he's not faster than him. He's not stronger than him. 
I don't see where the advantage is. And he's not bigger than him. Yeah, and his IQ is maybe a little bit higher. His IQ is higher than I would say his fight IQ is higher than Earl's. Yeah, if it was a video game, you would say like one was 92 and one was 90 or something like that. Right. Not just that, not that much of a difference. Right. Right. That's a big fight coming in Texas. It is a big fight in Texas. Both of them are on the pound for pound list. We haven't had this since Canelo Triple G, probably. Where two guys pom 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 fighting each other. It's usually like mismatches or just guys that, okay, we'll give this guy a chance, but he doesn't have a chance. It's a it's a very close fight. Yes, Spence is bigger, Spence is stronger. But you have to look at Mikey, 39 and 0, four division champion. When he was off for two years from not fighting with top rank, he was a 130 pounder and he was off. Exactly. And he sparred Chino Maidana. And you were there, I think, if I'm not mistaken, for that sparring session or that during that period. And, and Mikey cracked Chino's rib, almost broke his yeah. rib. For the rest of the camp, no one was allowed to touch Chino Maidana. Yeah, that's so what Mikey, Chino was fighting, was, was training to fight Floyd, and I went out there to, to Oxnard. Yep, exactly. So Mikey has insane power. People, you know, he's not cut up. Mexican fighters in general don't look like bodybuilders. He's never going to look like Tim Bradley. Right. So people looking at Mikey. Or does don't he think, need to? Yeah. No, not for boxing. But he was sparring. I was in camp with him almost every day for this camp, and he's sparring guys. 180, 190, 175. And he was holding his own, and they're all undefeated. And I just added up before you guys called me right now. His par partners are like 86 to 0 with 70 knockouts combined. And he was doing really good. And one of them, he, he, uh, Mikey landed a vicious body shot. And they all told me he hits hard. Again, Spence is not a sparring partner. He's a star. He's a champion. He's the most avoided guy in boxing in my book. Me too. Because yeah. nobody wa- me too. This, this is what Spence told me. He said, Ellie. They only want to fight me once I have a fight. When I don't have a fight, it's cricket. Nobody's calling me. <laughs> I have a fight. They all want to. It sounds about right. Yeah, so it's a very interesting fight. Now, Mikey's dad, I talked to him last night. He told me, Ellie, this is not fight of the year. It's fight of the century. So they're going in there with a the mentality. We're going to win. We're focused. Spence has the same thing. Again, it's going to come down to chest. This, upset, this would be the biggest upset that I can think of in a long, in a long time. Long, long time. Like a really, really long time. Since the forty-two and, and what a forty-two to one Buster Douglas Tyson, because Mikey's a one thirty-five pounder. That when they announced the fight, everybody thought it was a parody. Everybody yes. thought it was a joke. Yeah. Like, what is he doing? Is this is he suicidal? Like, really? Come on! Like, it makes no sense for you to fight this guy that nobody wants to fight. But Mikey just—he told me, "Look, I get really bored. I need a challenge. I need something." And it worked because this camp—I've never seen him so focused. I've never seen him so determined. He, he says, "This is the fight I want to win more than any other fight." Well, we got he, that, and wow. we also have we also have uh, the idea that unfortunately, because of his contract disputes with top rank over the years, the guys that I think that he should fight and that he would beat, actually, he doesn't have a chance to fight. I think he beats Loma at one thirty five. Yeah, I think he I stops think him. I think he stops Loma at one thirty five, and I think that and I think that he beats Terrence Crawford at one forty seven. Yeah, and, or one forty. I just I don't think Earl is the right guy. Yeah, and I've never felt like that. And I, man, I can't tell you. I, I, I love, I love Mikey. I love Robert. I love to watch him fight. I love to watch Mikey fight. Just as such a, he's a such a class act. Yeah, <laughs> really. Yeah, and, 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 yeah. And I'm going to add to that that Spence and his coach uh, Derek James are great, for, great people. They'll never say anything bad about anybody. Just straightforward, really good individuals. So this is this is the way I look at it. It's a no lose for Mikey. If he wins, he's the king of the world. He's the king of boxing. Let's say he doesn't. It's okay. He jumped up two way guys to fight the baddest guys. He's not supposed wants to, to win. Fight. So it's really no. He doesn't lose in any way. He can't lose. But and this is going to be a big fight. And I expect coming to win, and I'm sure Spence numbers. wants to win and coming to win. So we'll see how it goes. Now the big news yesterday that just broke: Deontay Wilder is going to meet this week with um, Eddie Hearn. I saw that they're bumping up those numbers. Yeah. And now here's my thing. Once again, we see the power of no. 
Deontay Wilder said no to the offer that they sent, and all of a sudden they need a face-to-face meeting for a much bigger uh, dollar amount. Right. And the zone is paying people. They just signed Triple G, uh, uh, our favorite over here at the Ozone. And even though I think six fights over three years is a bit much, that means he's going to be fighting into the, into, right to when he's touching 40. Um, you know, he's had some time off to recover from that last fight and those last two fights, which were really rough. And this is it's going to be interesting to see what the zone can do because they're making noise, man. They're they're putting so much money out there. I mean, I'm so happy for the fighters. Brandon Reels made great money his last fight. Tevin Farmer's making great money. Triple G's making great money. Yep. They're all getting paid, and this is a, this is a sport where you got to make as much as you can because you're taking punishment. You're taking punishment. So, so I'm very happy fight for the fighters. Last mm-hmm. without a absolutely union. correct no union and no no union. Story. You're right. Absolutely. So I'm excited to see what they could do with this. This does mean that if it does go down, maybe we see a Joshua. If Joshua passes Big Baby, which is a test too, it's a 50 50 fight. It's but if he passes him, fight, Ellie, it's lie, a 50 50 fight. I'm going to break it down. Don't lie to yourself. I'm going to break it down. Break check it, it down. out. Check it out. Check it out. I'm going to break it down. Let's look at Big Baby Miller. Before boxing, he was a kickboxing champion. That's how I met him. He was fighting in K1. If a kick is not going to knock you out, how the hell is a punch going to knock you out? You Never should know. Ask, you ask Conor McGregor. Ask all of these MMA dudes who yes. want to come in the ring. <laughs> ask your man Diaz. And there's an acclimation of punches. And he, now, he's a big guy. Okay. He can't knock big, big guys out. Okay, that's true. Now, Big Baby gets in your head. You saw how he pushed Joshua. He rattles you. If he's going to make it an ugly fight, a rough fight, he has a good chance. Joshua hasn't looked good since the Klitschko fight. I like him. He's a great fighter, great person. But he hasn't shined. His fights, he fought the French guy, Takam, didn't look too good. Takam came back. A problem. Takam headbutted yeah. his nose. Yeah, headbutted him, and, and yeah, he made the fight dirty. And, and the last fight, he looked really bad. He almost got stopped in the early rounds. What fight? Anthony so, Joshua? No, you, mm-hmm. no. Which fight are you talking about? Anthony Joshua wasn't on the verge of getting stopped. He fought against uh, the guy that's a juicer. Yeah, he fought a Pavetkin. Pavetkin landed a shot. I, Pavetkin I, hurt him, but I, he didn't. I find I find a quote from Eddie Hearn where Eddie Hearn says, "I I almost uh, pooped my pants watching that. I was so scared." Wow. I thought he got he got hit early, uh, pretty nasty. But he won the fight, no question. But he hasn't looked spectacular. Is that is that fair to say? No, he I hasn't looked. He doesn't look spectacular, but he's done what he needs to do to win. And he's been fighting fighters that make you look bad. The Joseph Parker fight that he fought is a fight that is to win that fight is not the fight where you take a bunch of risks and do, you know, do the thing. That was a technical fight. No, and Parker's a champion, so absolutely not. He's fighting a good dude and a talented dude. But again, success, the level of competition, it's in New York. Let's see. I think it's a closer fight than what people think, but I think we'll see. Yeah, I think he's going to stop Big Baby probably in like the seventh round or something. I just have a problem with Big Baby not having the pop that I want him to have at that weight. Yeah. I want a guy that I want every heavyweight to be able to knock guys out with, with one, one punch, quitter. but let alone an accumulation of punches. And I've seen him get hit a lot, and I don't feel like him getting hit by somebody like Anthony Joshua is going to work out right. But we'll see. Now it seems like if if we were going to go with the mental edge, I would say that it's a it's a it's thrown up in the air as to whether or not Anthony Joshua can process the negative energy of. Of of uh, Big Baby getting in his head to actually make that translate on fight night, or if he's going to be out of his game. So that's a that's a that's a fair point. Now, who do you like tonight in Bivol versus uh, Smith? Bivol, I like him a lot. I mean, Smith's a great kid, great story, construction worker, becomes boxing star, uh, beating up 
uh, Bernard Hopkins at 52 is, is okay because, you know, he knocked him out of the ring. But Bivol is the real deal. Bivol oh, is a monster. People don't know. He's the biggest secret in boxing. He's a monster. Other and, than and he's going to go to, other than Usyk, correct. Even, even though Usyk isn't really a secret as a unified champ, uh, the only in the world, if I'm correct. But at the same time, no people don't really know. Your standard fans don't really know about Usyk like that. But, yeah, Bivol's a problem. You you are correct on, on both of those statements. I agree. Uh, Usyk is the only unified champ on the men's side. Um, you have Breakhouse on the female side. She has all the belts. But uh, Usyk is getting up there. But I'm thinking Bivol, he just signed with Eddie and Zone as well. And he wants to go down to 68 and fight Canelo and fight Triple G and fight. He's, he's going to give a lot of people problems. It seems like it was a blessing. It hurt a lot when HBO went off the air, but it seems like it's a blessing in, in, in a sense. Right? Because the way that the zone is coming in and capitalizing and the way that everybody's actually it's like a scurry to get somewhere, to get a home. You know, and then it's sort of taking that stable effect away from it a little bit. A little bit. Uh-huh. Because now the stables that are there are so strong. I would say the weakest stable is top rank. Uh-huh. Followed by PBC, mm-hmm. followed by the zone at this point, as far as fighters you want to watch. PBC has everybody that you want to watch in the the 47, in the little man boxing world. Uh-huh. And does, except for the zone has everybody. They got Canelo, they got Triple G, they got Joshua. That looks like they're going to get wilder. You know, stack. Just stack. But, but here's, here's what happened when HBO fell apart. So Max Kellerman goes, for example, ESPN. HBO film crews go to the zone. I've seen them work behind the scenes. The same faces, the same guys that were doing like the all access, they're doing it for the zone. So it, it made fighters more money because HBO were kind of like mailing it in for the last three years. They right. didn't put out. It seemed fight. like they must have known internally that they were ready to to get out of the game. Correct. And Bob Arum actually called it, and people said he's, he's full of it, but he was right. He said HBO going to get out of boxing. So it's it's one door closes, another opens. And look how much I'm happy for fighters to make insane amounts of money. I wish UFC fighters will make the money the boxers are making. Right. So that's a good aspect. Now, the zone, they're learning on the job. They're trying. And I'm sure with time, they'll get better and better at what they're doing. They need a better broadcast crew. That's just I'm just saying. Yeah, I agree. I agree because it, it's it's not polished, really. It, yeah. It's, it's not cutting edge. There's not a lot of entertainment value in it right now. But it will be. It's, like yeah. I said, they have to just, just start starting, from somewhere. They have right to have now. a starting point. Um Triple G Canelo three. I don't know if that's the fight. Maybe it's Triple G Bivol. Maybe it's Triple G Boo Boo Demetrius Andrade. Maybe it's Triple G Jacobs. They got Danny Jacobs too. Yeah, they got you know. the oh. zone has the zone has done the right thing for the boxing fans. Yes, and the boxers. It looks like and and the boxers surprisingly. Now, the only thing that I could ask more from the zone is if they set up a union. Yeah, and that's asking a lot on top of actually paying, paying everybody. <laughs> and they might. They're doing everything right, so they might they're doing do everything look, right. They're bringing in baseball now. They're bringing yep. in uh, other sports. They have MMA with Bellator, so it's possible. Um, this is what I, I will say. It's, it's great that fighters have options. It's a fighter's yes. market. You're not, it's not a, mo- a monopoly. like or, or UFC is like pretty much UFC than Bellator, and then you're pretty much smaller um, promotions. But in boxing, you have three or four major promotions where you could get paid. And which is a big deal. Because it wasn't always that way. And you're talking about, just like you said, we're talking about everybody from, from, from Gabe Rosado and Tevin Farmer to Anthony Joshua all getting paid. Uh-huh. And this is what we need as fans. I don't want to see a guy get his head beat in and then actually see him at the gym that I go work out at and he can't, he's not, you know, 
functioning. He's not functioning, nor not only he took the chance of functioning or not by just getting in the ring, but not only is he not functioning, he has no money or no way to take care of himself. Absolutely correct. They have no money for, for food, no money for electricity. They, I mean, yeah, and and people don't understand how dire it is. And our special guest for the day just came in. What's up, baby? MLB All-Star Gold Glove winner Kenny Lofton is here. And unlike the boxers, we're talking about boxing and how this new situation has actually helped fans. I don't know if you're a boxing fan or not. I am. But it's really the situation with the zone and trying to eliminate pay-per-view seems to have really helped the fans because they have a lot of big names and they're all going to fight each other. And they all get paid. And they all get paid. And we only pay $10 a month mm-hmm. as opposed to, like, for example, when I was training down in Miami, the, the gym that I was training that man, guys were coming in there. They got no union. So afterwards... They they are busted up and they're out there looking bad and and I don't think people sure. recognize that you can see a champ I'm talking about the champ the guy that you love might be in a gym somewhere literally throwing air punches shadow boxing looking like a shell of himself and can't go get you know nothing to eat can't literally can't go get nothing to eat that's true but really quick what are the advantages for example of having a union in baseball what does a union do for for players. Are you crazy? What, I don't care if we're talking about baseball. I don't care if we're talking about uh, about about acting or whatever. The union provides health care. I, I literally, I pay a fee every year, a percentage of my income, which is actually a small percentage relative to the idea that they had to pay for my knee surgery. And I always have health care if I need it. I have somebody who actually looks out for me as far as negotiations go, work conditions, the whole nine. This is why actors are pampered, if you will, because there's a union which says, actually, after a certain amount of time, you have to break for lunch. And after a certain amount of time, you have to sit and, 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 uh, and, and if, if you work all night, you need a turnaround of a certain amount of time instead of having to call you back early in the morning because guys are getting in car accidents and they're actually working themselves to death. It's true. The thing about it is, and this is Kenny, um, with the union in baseball, it protects your rights. A lot of things that's being protected that is not being looked at on the owner's side of it. The players protect you on your side of it, like you say, especially for health care and certain things that for players need, especially when they're done. Yes. When you're done, you have pretty much no rights of nothing, but the union protects you. And the union goes in to these collective bargaining agreements to try to protect retired players big time. And on top of that, Ellie, this is Ellie Sekback. He's a he's a very great boxing reporter online. He used to cover basketball. Now he's all boxing all the time. More than 500 million views on YouTube, the whole wow. song and dance. Yeah, Ellie does his thing, and that's why we're talking boxing with him. But I, I want to say the last thing that it does as well, whether it's acting, baseball, or if, you're, if you are an electrician on a set, you know, what it does is it, is it sets up a pension. So I'm putting money in a pension – that literally Mike Tyson doesn't have. Right. Which is absurd. That money should be taken out of the purse and it should be put away in a collective, not just for Mike, in a collective. These guys are making big, big money and and they need to protect the little guy. Now you need to, just like in, in, in any other union, you would need to vet it with a certain amount of time as far as saying, you know, Hey, you needed to be in the league for this long or, you know, but that's what happened in baseball is that no matter how much money you make, if you have 10 years in the big leagues, you get a full pension. Come on, man. Wow. No matter how much money yeah. you make. That's awesome. And the thing about it is the, the, the least amount of years you have, you still get a certain part of your pension, 
but you just get just doesn't get the top. Yeah, ten years get you. Uh, full. Ten years get you full. Right. I don't care if you're making thirty million a year, or if you're making you three hundred thousand. Three hundred thousand. If you got your ten years in, when you're done, you get the same amount of money as everyone gets. It's all in a kitty and it's divided up as it should be. Exactly. So it doesn't matter who you were. You can be King Griffey Jr. or you can have a guy who was just a um, a journeyman. A journeyman, a, a, a utility player that got 10 years. You could be Mike Pagliarulo. Yeah. When, when he gets done, he gets the same amount of money that Griffey gets for his pension. That's amazing. So that means even if they blow all the money on, on nonsense, cars, jewelry, whatever, they'll still have money coming the rest of their life. They won't be homeless. There's a basic. Yeah, and but, that, that's the thing. Yeah, but when you're talking about boxers, man, they literally get their brains punched in. Yes. That's true. And if Which is luck, conducive to and, making bad decisions. Exactly. And you're, you, you can't expect anybody really to have a 10-year lifespan in boxing. That's a long that's time. A long Long that's a long that's time. Like a, that's like an NFL ten year. The Come only on. person that's playing ten years in the NFL is a quarterback because he's protected. Right. No, the kicker, and, and, the kicker, and, and, and oh, the kicker, and the kicker. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right, Ellie. We appreciate you calling in. You're always uh, you're always welcome on the Ozone. Tell people, tell the people where they can find you. Just search anywhere ES News and you'll find me. Thank you so much. All right, man. We'll, we'll hit you up after the fight. Sounds good. We'll talk soon. Later. Later. Ladies and gentlemen, as promised. My man showed up. We got a lot to unpack here because <laughs> I haven't seen you since the last, uh, I would say, Lupus Charity uh, Poker Tournament. Yes. I've known Kenny Lofton for years now, folks. I call him a friend, and uh, we see eye to eye on a lot of things. Little did we know that we saw eye to eye on something that's very important to the game that we've talked about on this on this podcast several times, especially in the heat of baseball season every Sunday night and going into the playoffs. How you feeling, Kenny? I'm good. I can't complain. I'm just been uh, working a lot, you know. Like yeah. I say, for me, working with my uh, my film production company, and that's pretty much what I'm doing right now. Awesome. Now you're looking like you're in great shape. Yeah, you should sure do. You know, I try to go out there and try to eat right, and I still have my my ice cream once in a while. But uh, I go out there and hit mm-hmm. the gym, and because it's it's part of my DNA. I tell people that's just who I am, and I worked out a lot when I was playing, and I still work out. It's just again, it's just part of me. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. It's a great, and you know, along with, we'll get to, you know, what we were talking about, but along with it being good for your health, it's also good as an inspiration to younger people. So younger people can look to you as a former big leaguer and say, wow, Kenny was the man when he was in the show, but look at him. Man, I just saw Kenny. Kenny might be able to give me 15, 20 sacks this year. (laughs) (laughs) I believe, you know, and that's that's a big thing. And, you know, we're super-duper baseball fans. My brother Terry got drafted by the Dodgers. I, I played uh, until I busted, got busted up and then stumbled into the theater and started doing acting. I have to say, I don't, I don't think there's something that I love a thing more than the game of Major League Baseball. And it hurts my feelings the way that they keep trying to tweak and, and ruin the game, in my opinion, in certain ways. I see you at the games all the time. I think we did. We see you at the, the World Series. Yeah, I was there. Yeah, you know, I don't. You know, I try to go there, and just a friend of mine usually have tickets, and I I usually don't. Again, if someone invites me, I'll go. Role. But again, I've you know I've been there, done that, so yeah. I don't On the highest level. Yeah, yeah. So for me to say I have to go, I have to go. No, you I don't, mean, feel, I don't feel that way. But if somebody will say because they want to go and just get my knowledge to the game, and it's fun because I'm sitting there, they say you don't mind us talking to you about the game. I'm like, no, I don't mind. I'm here and you guys invited me, so I would love to talk about the game because <laughs> some of the insights of the game that people sometimes don't know or sometimes people that want to talk about it, 
I'm always open to talk about the game of baseball. Ah, I love that. Well, that's what we're here for, and that's what we're here to talk about. You know, I, I go ahead. You sound like you want to get in. <laughs> oh, get no, in. No. Get yourself. I was just looking at the baseball reference. Now, oh. now they have his war next to 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 your name. Do you believe in the war? Um, for me, I I do believe in it, but I feel like why all of a sudden it comes out now. You know, it should have came out before when I had an opportunity to get have my name on the on the ballot list to stay mm-hmm. on the ballot list. If that war would have been next to my name, I believe, I'm not sure, but I believe. You would have had more support. I would have more support because, again, that war number, I feel like the war, people understand what war is basically, you know, runs against replacements. Mm-hmm. Or in, and I feel like offense and defense is what makes your war go up. I had both. Some people only have exactly. one, but I feel like I had both you. I put runs on the board, and I also Save runs. Exactly. So that's how you get that mixture of that war. And if they would looked at me overall, I think it would have been different because everyone looks at certain people offensively or they look at people defensively. Very rarely you look Not at like all a five players. players. Right. <laughs> Very you know, rarely. That's the problem is that the Hall of Fame of how they look at it, they pick and choose whenever they want to. And that's the sad part about well, it. Well, I bring up another point, uh, which is if you played in today's game, oh which is goodness. what people are judging by. Are you crazy? <laughs> are you crazy? I'm I'm here to tell you, I personally watched a lot of your work. I mean, a personally, lot of your work. Loved your game. I loved, I, loved, I loved your game. I can remember you leading off that All-Star game with a bomb off of Dale Nomo. Big was bomb. At who time. was completely lights out at the time, ladies and gentlemen. Was it 95? 97. Was, in Col- was it Colorado? Texas. I can't tell you. I can remember. All star. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, oh, you must say yourself. <laughs> no, that was in Texas. I remember it. Yeah. And I remember I remember a big bomb to lead it off. I was like, are you kidding me? Lead off bomb to the All-Star game? But that's not even just it. We're talking World Series. I'm talking about top to bottom. I watch guys now who are willing to not make contact in order to hit a bomb. try to hit a bomb. Try to hit a bomb. And you're talking about it's acceptable for guys to strike out 150 to 200 times a year. Well, it's funny how you said that because they looked at the All-Star game last year was the awesome All-Star because they had 10 home runs. Can you believe this? But wait, you had 25 strikeouts. 25 strikeouts. How can you say that's exciting in this game? But again, now you see where this game is going. Right. Yes. They're looking at these 10 home runs, but you didn't look at the 25 strikeouts. You dismissed those strikeouts. And this is why I'm saying non-productive outs. Non-productive outs. And this is why I'm <laughs> saying this is why I am not a fan of war. Because what war doesn't and, – and I'm not exactly sure how wins and rubber placements work. I have to be honest. But what I, from what I've seen as per the war numbers for guys that I watch the game, war doesn't seem to take into account – you know what? He actually just put the ball in play, exactly. which, which moved the runner, which then in turn got a next guy an RBI. If you don't know the game of baseball, it's hard for you to, to, to appreciate anything besides the glittery object. And today we live in a society that's all about instant gratification, the phones, the this, the that. I don't know if society is actually primed to even understand a cerebral game like baseball. A skill-based game that if you are actually athletic and skilled, you can have a remarkable success. And it's rare. And and I'm watching the situation. Now we can get to what we were talking about. I'm watching the situation where I'm looking at this thing with Alex Rodriguez and it breaks my heart. So Kenny had some statements on a podcast recently that 
sound like you listen to our podcast, which I know <laughs> you you ne- didn't necessarily have to because I feel like a lot of guys feel like this. I've had a lot of major league players, current major league players, hit me in my DMs and on my cell phone to just when they hear it and say, yeah, man, we ain't going to say nothing, but we're all the way with you. This guy made half a billion dollars off the game of baseball. He was juicing, as far as we know, from the word go. From when he was playing with Ken Griffey at 22 years old and 21 years old. This guy is. So this guy is Alex Rodriguez, who is now employed by ESPN and Fox as an analyst. I'm the last one that's a hater, folks. But in this scenario, I got to call a spade a spade. I have a problem with, just like I have a problem with the current administration, with cheating being rewarded with prosperity. I feel like that's what happens when you sweep under the rug and hire an Alex Rodriguez. The benefit that he got was his money. Right. Don't make me sit and listen to you talk about the game, which I don't even know if legitimately you could play at the highest level without without the without aid. help. Yeah, that that's my that's my take on it. Now I, I read your statement. And it led me to literally to pick up the phone and be like, oh, man, we got to get you on the cast. I need, I need you on ASAP. I'm just, I just wanted to record our phone conversation, let alone a, a make it official. But it just sends a wrong, the wrong message to the kids. It really does. It's telling the kids, hey, if you cheat, you can get away with it. We reward it. And it's okay. Really. And by the way, throw about 150 people under the bus while you're doing it. Right. Because I don't, I still don't know if there was an official apology to all of those people, the journalists' lives that he ruined, with all of the people who actually were doing their job. And getting this information, what's your take, brother? Sorry, we we, <laughs> I mean, we jumped no. on. You get us. We get fired up about this one. <laughs> no, again, I I just felt like when when the question was asked to me and how it started off, I was there in New York talking about my the movie I was trying I was putting in the theaters in Brooklyn at the time, and at two days I was going to be in Brooklyn with the movie for it for just two shows, and um, he asked me. He said, you know, we we're sorry you're not in the Hall of Fame and whatever, but how do you feel? About guys, you know who, who know who were potential steroid guys, potential that they probably would get in the Hall of Fame, you know. And he said guys like A Rod, and that's what kind of opened up the gate, yeah, for that. And for me, I just felt like you know, like I said, a spade is a spade. And I just I'm the guy who's always open and free. And I think some people just don't like my honesty, but I've always been that way. And when you, I didn't come out and bring out the question. They asked the question. And when you talk about me in the Hall of Fame and how I was left off the list. And, again, I feel like if I would have got on that potential list a year before, it probably been a little different. Right. You know, so and I just felt like I had people in my way at that time with the Hall of Fame because of guys who were potential steroid people. And I was never – one of those guys, but no. I was caught up in, in that era, in that era, in that circle, especially during that 2013, for me to have an opportunity to get on the on the um, the Hall of Fame list. So I was on that list, but each reporter has ten. Again, they have ten votes, right? And I felt like six, seven of them were taken away for potential guys who own the steroids, so they only had three spots left, right? So when you got three spots left, now you're trying to keep guys who's been on there already right. to try to get them over the top. Mm-hmm. So that and just that, keep them alive, basically keep, keep them, them on, keep so, them on the ballot. So you had three people to keep alive. You had at least seven, six or seven, to 
try to keep them alive because you're not sure they use steroids or you think they use steroids or you don't know. Or you're willing to look past and you just love them as a, as a writer. Exactly. So, and that's what kind of got guys like myself and other guys. Rubbed kinda, the wrong way. It got kind of us pushed off the list. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think or do you feel that the writer should have that kind of power? I really, I really don't because, again, some writers don't like you. It's just like right, back yeah, in the, yeah. the day where people didn't like Eddie Murray. Yes. yes. You know, but Eddie yes. Murray put up some crazy numbers. Crazy numbers. Crazy so numbers. so for you, crazy. But, but then they try to say, you know, well, Eddie Murray didn't talk to the media. It ain't about what does it have to do with the numbers. That's what I'm saying. That's the problem you have with the media because if they don't like you, they, they cannot put you on the list. But then they say, well – how can King Griffey Jr. not get unanimous? unanimous Come on, man. A thousand percent. Nobody can say he doesn't deserve a Hall of Fame. Nobody can it's say absurd. that. So, but again, it happened. But then the next year or the year after whatever, um, um, Mariano uh, became the first, person, the first person. It should have been Griffey. No been question. But it wasn't. And I'm trying to figure out why. So then, and also, you also have a guy where at the time where BGO got on, the Hall of Fame or whatever, but one of the reporters said, I didn't want him to be a first-timer, his first time on the ballot. So since you you didn't want him to be a first-timer, <laughs> I mean, that I'm just saying, however you want to look at it, but you go, your excuse is you don't want him to be a first-timer. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't no. make any sense. Do you have to have some kind of guidelines or structure to your voting mechanism? It can't be about my attitude or how I feel about you because we know why they're doing it to Barry Bonds. His numbers are what they are. But then I have a problem also now when I look back at it since baseball opening up a can of worms with betting, what are you going to do with Pete Rose? Come on, man. <laughs> are you kidding me? You know what I'm saying? There's nobody who's ever watched a game that thinks that Charlie Hustle shouldn't be in the hall if we're just talking about the numbers. If you're talking about numbers, again, like I said in my uh, the hall in my supposed post, to be about numbers, but like I said, I'm not I'm not saying what Pete Rose did was right. No. Yeah, no, okay. no, 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 you got to figure out how you guys are presenting this case. Yes. Th- that's it. Yes. And there needs that's to be a governing body exactly. to the body that votes. That's the thing. There's no checks and balances. I like to take the writers out of it because, like Kenny was saying, yeah. that the writers have too much personal stuff going on. If you didn't talk to the guy after the game, maybe you, I lost it. Maybe I'm, a, I'm not feeling good. Maybe I'm not feeling maybe good. Maybe I don't feel like Maybe I'm on a crappy maybe team maybe and I'm, I'm putting up yeah. dumb numbers. Yeah. And I just don't feel like talking to you guys every I, day. I think the Veterans Committee, how they have it, there should be the, those guys should be the ones – on the Hall of Fame in the beginning. Yes. So now you have to wait 10 more years or whatever. After you get off the ballot, you get 10 more years, you have to wait. And then look at the, look at the then, people on the ballot through that, that prism. So And those are the people who's played the game, understand the game. Exactly. So, so guys like committed. you would have been voted on under that system. A guy like you would right be away. voted on by Frank Robinson and exactly. Willie Mays. Exactly. And, and you know, guys who, who literally played the game at the highest level – are veterans in the hall like, as well as veterans of the show. You got Ozzie Smith. You got like exactly. um, you know um, Paul Molitor. Guys My, like Mike that. Smith. Mike, you know, guys have opportunity to, to know how it is to play the game mm-hmm. and know when they say at the time when you try to get voted into the Hall of Fame, there you're being looked at as in your era. Sure would, and that would be a great way to continue to update. 
because the game that you Changes. played in the Changes. 90s is different than the game that, that they're playing now. That they're playing now that that Frank Robinson played. Yes. That, you know, that Jackie Robinson played. Uh-huh. But if you're constantly, if that 7 to 10-year window was constantly being, you know, uh, upgraded yeah, as far exactly. as the vote, you're close enough to watch and be familiar with the game to be like, no, 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 let me tell you something. I played with that dude. You couldn't stop him. He was, you know. It's, it's almost like the time that I played when I came up. Stolen bases wise. I talked to Vince Coleman all the time. He said, Kenny, if you would have played in the era that I played in, stolen bases, because you got on base all the time, he said, you could have got close to 200 stolen bases. For real. Because he said, because when I came up, they started the slice step. Mm-hmm. They didn't have the slice step when Ricky Henderson and Vince Coleman were still in all those bases. Willie McGee, all yeah. them dudes. There was, there was no slide step. Mm-hmm. So starting in the 90s, when I came up, it became a slice step. Interesting. And then the slice, and I still end up getting my highest total was 75. And that was that's the most sense. Since the 90s, no one has gotten 75 stolen bases. Hard to steal bags. Yeah. Because they, of, this is where technology, in my opinion, this is where technology and science have actually benefited the game because what they've done via the slide step, via working with catchers on getting the ball out, course, and, and yeah. you know, in the whole, and, and honestly, with guys throwing harder, uh-huh. there's less time to steal a bag. So, you know, and that's why and Vince called me and said, man, you would have just been crazy. But now, I said, Vince, you think you would have stole as many bases? He said, probably not because of the slice stuff. He said it was easy, but I he had to get that, on base. But I'm going to tell you something else. I think Vince Coleman would still have stolen bases. He may not have stolen, like, the numbers that they were stealing. But I don't think it would have anything to do with the slide step, to be honest. To me, teams don't even employ the stolen base as a weapon now. Yeah. They don't even try to steal bags anymore. Right. A guy would rather take a chance instead of sacrifice bunting or instead of uh, taking the risk of stealing a bag. A team would rather have a guy go for a three run, a two run bomb. Yeah, and they used to do that in the National League, and now the National League does it. That's it. I mean, it's ridiculous. But the game is all about. See, once they started that thing back in the day, chicks dig the long ball. That's yeah. when Sammy and McGuire, uh-huh. yeah, 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 potential, yeah, yeah. you know, potential guys juicing at that time. They went from guys at a certain age where when you get in your late, mid-30s or whatever, you're on your way down, and we all know that. Yeah. I mean, just that's how the game goes. So when you yeah. get there, you know you're going to either level out and slowly take I – mean, some people take a bigger step going downward, or some people will can stay consistent longer and take a small step right. as they get older. But we had guys in the game at that time, mid-30s or high, or uh, up in upper mid-30s starting to do – extraordinary, they've never even done it in their prime right. or in their peak, then all of a sudden they peaking. At 38. Yeah, you know, that just that don't, that didn't sit right with me because yeah. knowing how tough it is in the game, and as you get older, your body say, dude, come on, man, we're getting a little old. You yeah. got <laughs> to take your time. You right, got right. to pace yourself. Be uh, easy on that, yeah. But from that time, I knew something wasn't right when you start to do extraordinary things at, at a older age that it just don't add up. It doesn't. And, the, and one of the biggest things is like, even when the, for me, it was like Barry Bonds. I think that when he started doing, it caught up with him too fast because he was averaging probably like 39, 35, 39 home runs, something like that. Then all of a sudden you get on the juice and now you're hitting 70, 70 some home runs. And I don't even think I don't even I, right. And I don't think that he really thought about it or it, he, it caught up to him pretty soon. He thought it was singing to myself like, wow, I'm in 70 bombs. I'm about to break the home run record, and I'm supposed to be, and I'm supposed to be retiring. <laughs> I'm literally supposed to be retiring, and now I'm even better than what I was when I was a kid. 
You know, it's same thing with Roger Clemens. You know, when he was with Boston, he was throwing 86 to 87. Mm-hmm. So Boston, you know, pretty much they said, you know what, his time, you know, we got to, yeah, 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 yeah. Gotta, you know, he went we gotta, up to Toronto. You know, he, then he went up to Toronto, and then all of a sudden, you know, we faced him. I'm like, he's throwing 97. I'm like, wait a minute. Gas. <laughs> Where did this that come first from? Pitch, that and first it- pitch, I'm like, boom. I'm like, I stepped back out of the box and looked at Omar. Vizcal, he looked at me like. Like, like, yeah, it's real. Like, bro, it's real. He, <laughs> hey, he's, he's bringing it. it. <laughs> I said, wait a minute. We just saw him the year before. And it was like, okay, we got Roger. And then yep. all of a sudden, the next time, I'm like, ooh, we, we got Roger. And they blame it on the mechanics probably. Like, yeah, they changed his mechanics. <laughs> but they started throwing harder than he did in 86. He like, struck out 300 dudes. We was like, okay. I'm like, oh, he bring I'm like, yeah. I'm like, so I, I gave that fastball, you know, that I'm wave like, hey, toward Omar. he got something on it. He got some juice. He got something uh-huh. to it. Uh-huh. And Omar's like, wow. <laughs> so I'm like, I got back to the, so I got back to the dugout because, you know, I'm leading off. Uh-huh. I get back to the dugout. I'm like. Roger's bringing it now. <laughs> what happened? That's, that's serious. And I just kind of left it at that. You know, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, in yeah. my head, I'm like, whoa. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, last year he was, maybe he was. So all of a sudden maybe he was you, injured. Yeah, maybe he was injured. But again, throughout the year, you know he was. No, no, you know, no, of tell. course. Now you find out. My, my, my feeling is not to, remember where you're on the story. Yeah. My problem is I actually believe that at the end of the day, all of these dudes are going to get in. Uh, and, oh, no and, and with the way that society is now, just society as a whole, I really feel like baseball more than any other sport is a barometer for society because this is why the tolerance of baseball has become less and less and why everybody involved uh, at, the, at the, the, the commissioner level and whatnot are trying to make these tweaks because society has become this instant gratification thing and you're looking at games like basketball and football that have a constant spectacularism and we're not building people. We're building a, a nation of magazine readers as opposed to a nation of book readers. And in that, I say that to mean we don't have an, uh, a tolerance now. We have an overall attention deficiency where we don't have a tolerance to consistently wait for something to happen or recognize the beauty of nuance. Everything has to be on its face now. We don't. We don't. We don't. We we keep it shallow. I think you're giving them credit when you give them credit. To read a full magazine. I don't even think that you can get through a full magazine nowadays, these kids nowadays. Nobody wants to go through the – they want to skim over everything. Everything is skimmed through. It's no substance, all all surface value. And, and, and I'm not even necessarily holding it against the kids. No, because, it's not just the kids. Because, because – no, no, no. I'm, not, I'm saying it's, it's a whole society. But I'm saying I'm not holding it against the kids because the kids are being instructed. And they're following examples. And there's so much information now. Just like there's so many TV shows. There's so many movies. There's so many podcasts. You literally could spend 24 hours a day consuming content now and still wouldn't make a dent in a quarter of it. Yeah, it's true. And, and, and so, there's, so there's a societal change. And baseball has always been a game that you have to have the patience to understand. As a hitter, you have to wait for – I have to make him throw a strike. But, You're not just going to serve me up. Not on purpose. Yeah, but this is the problem now because now baseball is trying to adjust to what I agree. People are claiming you're talking about a, a clock for the pitchers. Ridiculous. You're talking about them. You know, I, I understand the umpires are messing up now, but they're Im, Im, implementing robots now they're talking about in, what, in the Atlantic League. And, you know, when you come to watch a baseball game, if you're a baseball fan, I'm not putting it on the clock. I understand when I watch a game that there's no timer. Taking ten, and that's the beauty of the game. Yeah. Taking 10 minutes out of a baseball game isn't going to bring more fans. I am confident of that. Oh, you're right. I mean, <laughs> uh, I think people talk about the games are too long, and that's why sometimes when they feel like it's too long, they say, what makes a, a long game? A long game when a pitcher, so-called, is not throwing strikes. Yeah. So if you're not, so now they try to figure out how do we make the game go quicker 
we have to almost make the umpires call more strikes. And, and that's <laughs> and that's the issue is that the quicker they kept it when I was playing the National League called more strikes than the American League. Right. You know, that was with the Greg Maddox and all and Glavin. Tom Glavin stretched yeah. the zone. Whatever they, they stretched the zone. I mean, I was a, a thing to that where it, it came back and, and when I was with the Braves in 97, it ended up being reversed. Now all the, 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 Braves, the Braves team saw what it was like for when we played against um, when we played against the Marlins in that uh, league championship series, to where Eric Gregg called the balls way off oh, his plate. Oh my goodness! But again, that's what I felt. And talking to um, talking to um, 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 Barry Larkin, he's like, "Well, that's what we felt like all the time, facing the Braves staff." Yeah. Oh, no doubt. So, so they again, so that's they didn't what, have to throw strikes. Yeah. So that's the only one that was gotta, throwing strikes was John Smoltz. Yeah, Smoltz. And Smoltz yeah. had the kind of stuff that was like, hey, you can hit it, hit it. Good luck. <laughs> but Good again, luck but Maddox knew how to just paint that thing right off the Right off right. the I mean, play. even though it was a ball, but it was close enough to where they say, you know, if he's going to throw it that close, we'll give it to him. And then that's where the reputation of he threw it just right off. I mean, yeah. it was close. It but was it still close. was a ball. But again, the umpire, okay, you know, that's close enough. And he consistently hit that. That was a smart thing. He consistently yeah. hit that spot. That was his skill. Yeah. He knew exactly what spot to hit, and he kept doing it. Which is why we talk about it all the time, because out here we grew up with WGN was one of the channels uh, that we had. Yeah, yeah. And so I remember when Greg Maddox was a semi-bum. Yeah. Yeah. Greg Maddox was not, he wasn't, I won't, won't call him a full bum, but he wasn't somebody that was like. When he first came up, he wasn't we, lights he, out. Nah, you weren't going to watch Greg Maddox game. He had a two-seamer either. Uh, Greg Maddox game had a great chance at Wrigley Field. The Greg, that was, and this was before they had lights. Yeah. The Greg Maddox Day game had a great chance of being a, <laughs> a, a six to two game, or like a, a eight to four game. It wasn't going to be a, a low scoring game per se. And when he got out there to Atlanta, whatever Leo Mazzoni did with him, and and figuring out how to manipulate the umps, because uh, Tom Glavin did it as well. Mm-hmm. Man, them dudes Danny, wreaked havoc. Denny Nagel was over yeah. there as Danny, well. Yep. So they all just, Steve Avery. Steve Avery. They just kind of stayed off the plate. Your boy uh, Charlie Lee Brand. Lee Brand. Yeah, Charlie oh, Lee Brand. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie Lieber never threw strikes. He never threw strikes. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a, it's an interesting thing. We got a caller that wants to ask you a question. We, we we put the word out that you were coming, and we got a we got a we got a first time caller, long time listener. He's left messages in the past, but we got Seattle Fudge coming in from Seattle. We told him you were going to be on. He's uh, I think he got a bone to pick with you because he got a heartbreak. He got a heartbreak story. <laughs> oh, no. Hello, Seattle Fudge live on the Ozone. There he is. Omar. Icons, what's up, fellas? What's up? Good, yeah. Okay, okay. You got here. We have our special guest, several-time All-Star and several-time Gold Glove winner, Kenny Lofton here. He can go get it. And uh, and and I know that when we put the word out that, that Kenny was going to be on, you were at the top of the list of people that wanted to speak. Uh, tell, me, tell me, first of all, tell us your Kenny Lofton story, and then if you have a question for him, you can lay it on him. My Kenny Lofton story is me as a 14-year-old kid watching Kenny Lofton score on a pass ball from second base in game six of the ALCS. The man ruined my life. (laughs) Wow, don't say that. (laughs) I I grew up as a Seattle baseball fan. We don't have that many highlights to draw from, okay? So, you know, you you remember those ones well. Who threw the wild bit? No, he's a heat. It was a pass ball. Randy Johnson. He knows. Like he, uh, He's laughing at you. He remembers that. <laughs> He's laughing He's at you, Fudge. They're all going to laugh at I, you. I mean, hey, <laughs> 95 playoffs. I'm like, Randy Johnson. Okay, the, the Mariners got this game. Randy's throwing. Nope. 
Kenny Lofton goes and destroys my world that night. So. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Well, he's on the line. Hey, so, if you got any questions, lay it hey, on. Hey, Kenny, I'll tell you, though, you were always the guy that when I watched those games, you were the one in that, that crazy lineup that the Indian teams had that I feared. Because you got on base and you just ruined the other pitcher's night. So, well, hey, well, I always had respect for your game. Well, thank you. you. know, that's what I, I mean, that's what I tried to do. And just like I said, within the World Series, and David Justice said the same thing. He said they went into their meetings, and he said their meeting was about nobody else, but he said, how do we keep Lofton off the base? Mm-hmm. And I think when, oh. so by you saying that, that's, that's not something, you know, that's something that a lot of other teams thought about. And David Justice told me right away, he said, Kenny, that was what our meeting's about. We said we had a 30-minute meeting, 20 minutes was about how do we figure <laughs> out about you. Wow. <laughs> you know, so it was pretty funny wow. for him to say and that. And that's respect in that lineup. Yeah, Are you so crazy? That lineup was yeah. insane. So it was. Well, they needed more than 20 minutes because nobody ever figured out what happened. So. <laughs> it wasn't time well spent, huh? <laughs> they needed to dedicate the whole 30. No. Uh-uh. Oh, man. Yeah, but my, my question, Kenny, is, you know, with, with the way stats are looked at now, right, everything's getting analyzed differently. Your game stands out different, right, than it would have been when you first came up for the Hall. You think the Veterans Committee gives you a, a, a second look now? I mean, I think I do. I, I think the Veterans Committee, because they're former players, and they know, and again, and I think the statue is is when guys, they look at in your era, and say, were you mm-hmm. effective or were you a dominant in your era, in your position at that time? So I think they know it, and I think they will look at it, I think they would probably look at it different because, again, that word, the war, my war was, like I said, or whatever, all-time right now. I think it's eighth all-time center fielders, four center fielders. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, behind, you know, Willie Mays and guys and like that. Griffey and, and Griffey like, or whatever. Yeah. I was number mm-hmm. eight, you know, mm-hmm. so on that list. So, I mean, I think they will look at certain things a little different, saying what I did in the, in the, in the outfield and what I did on the bases and what I did at the plate. I mean, it was I, – I, I made people aware – when I when I stepped on the field, it was going to be I can affect the game in on Multiple the off, on, on offense and defense. Yep. And once I get yep. on the base, I always told people when I got on the base, it wasn't the fact that I knew I was going to run. I just wanted the pitcher to figure out when is he going to run. So when they started right. to figure out when I'm going to run, they kept forgetting about where they wanted to throw their pitch at the plate and they a lot end of up, guys benefited from and that. a lot of guys benefit from me being on base and the pitcher trying to be aware of me he didn't always hit his spot and so manny joey tommy all these sandy all these guys made them pay for that yeah you know you had uh, tommy you had eddie you had roberto yeah mm-hmm. with everybody out there but again they i mean again like i said guys benefited from me being on base and also when you say all these guys that I play with had runs batted in. You can't better run batted in if nobody's on base. Yeah, you, see right. on, you see it now right. all day in yeah. the game all day. So Now, Fudge, you had a well, very interesting theory yeah. once that when you, you called and left a message and we had a technical difficulty. You had a, a very interesting theory about salaries and, and, and minimum, yeah. maximum salaries. I, lay that on us. This is very interesting. Check this out. Yeah, I, I just look at how much revenue baseball is bringing in right now. And the number of teams that are just keeping their payrolls low and tanking, they are just printing money right now, right? So we all blame – people want to blame all the big market teams. Mm-hmm. The, the small market teams are getting cuts on their money, revenue sharing. So they're all making money. What we should be talking about is how there should be a salary minimum for each team, not a, not a salary cap. 
right? So if everybody had to do, say, take 50% of the revenue that they generate and put it in the payroll, it will keep every team competitive. You won't have a Oakland A situation where they have a $40 million payroll, but that's $220 million revenue situation going on. So to me, I think we got this backwards. And, you know, so, so you have a situation where everybody looks at the, the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Dodgers, right? Like, no, everything could be competitive with the way the revenue is being, being spread out right now. Well, it's tough to – I mean, I hear what you're saying, and you make a lot of sense to that, but you got to look at – it's two sides to it. It's like you have players who, mm-hmm. who, are, who are requesting – I mean, trying to get money, and you have owners mm-hmm. who can put out the money. So just say you have sure. a guy who wants to – who wants, just say, $25 million a year because that's what he deserves. The opportunity for him to get that money – he, he probably can't get it by going to Oakland. He can get it by going to New York. So you got to figure yeah, out, I, but the players have to figure out because again, it won't make it, it will make it almost, you are, you are taking the, you are taking an opportunity away from that player by putting it in the hands of the system. Mm. It shouldn't work I, that way. If you put the numbers, but if you put the numbers up, you should have that choice to go where you want to go. I agree with you completely. I'm for the players getting paid, right? Because by the time a guy hits free agency and gets his money, he's already earned that money. He's getting money he should have gotten paid younger, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm looking at it going, you've got, you know, the Rays have a $35 million payroll, but they have a $240 million revenue. Now that's taking money out of the pockets of the players. And I go, you could have more teams that are spending money and not have these situations where you have 12 teams, 15 teams that are going to be out of the race by June this year because they're not even trying, right? But, and the owners are just bringing in the money because they're cutting their payroll. But that's how that's how the game goes. You can't tell an owner how to spend his money. You get what I'm saying? Oh, you, no, you I, I know you can't right so, now. So, I, but again, I, I'm, go ahead. I'm just saying, I know you can't right now. There's no way. But if you're looking at collective bargaining down the road and how to get the players we don't have a situation where star players are in the middle of spring training unsigned. You have a minimum. The, the, the players go, no, it's a minimum salary for each team because of the revenue base. It's actually closer to what you have in something like, you know, the NBA, right? Where they don't have it set like that, but there are requirements based on how much money the teams make that has to be put back into the players. No, so, it is, no, it is that it, way. But the problem is, is that that will be called a hard cap. Salary cap, and that's the thing, is that either you're going to have a hard salary cap or you're not because basically some teams know. So what? What? So basically they're saying you're being punished to go over the soft cap, okay? Some, right. teams, some teams are okay with that. That's why they still do it. They're saying that, you know what, if I go over the salary cap, I would just pay a third percentage into the, sure. into the, into the kitty for other teams. I'm okay with that. I'm knowing that. If I pay this guy $25 million a year, $5 million of that or $5 million I'm going to have to put into this kitty, I'm okay with that. Hmm. That's and, the, and that, but that money go, does, Kenny, doesn't that money go back to the other teams? It's, it's supposed to. So this is the, the, this teams, the way right? It's, you're right. This is the way it's supposed to go back. It's supposed to go back into the team. So here's the kitty. Once you have that kitty, mm. just say it's in the kitty and you take $5 million out of that kitty. You're supposed to take that $5 million and and go out and get a Adam Jones and give him right, that right. money. Leave Adam yeah. Jones at yeah, the Yeah, exactly. That's what you're supposed to do with that money. Again, it doesn't happen. 
all the time. I'm not exactly right. sure, but just from my knowledge, I might be wrong, but you're supposed to take that $5 million and go out and get a Adam Jones and put that as part of his $5 million to help your team. That's right. what you're supposed and, to do. And that's what I'm saying is that it doesn't seem like, it seems like these lower, these small market teams have that money getting kicked back from the taxes from those teams spending a lot of money, but they're not spending that money. They're just holding, keeping that money. Right. It's, it's like it's no incentive for them to get better. Yeah. No. Yeah, you're right. No. And they'll just say, oh, we're doing what the Astros did or whatever, you know, where, look, that was, that was lightning in a bottle. Like, you know, the run they made with some, with some picks and everything. So, Not necessarily. Yeah. I mean, you saw yeah. the Royals do it a little bit and before. And they still have a monster. And, and still have a monster team. But I hear what you're saying. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. Well, Seattle Fudge, we appreciate you. We, we, we're we still sorry about the heartbreak. Kenny seems to still revel in the fact that he ruined your childhood. He got a good laugh out of it. <laughs> but thanks for calling in. We appreciate you. All right, you. guys. All right, hey. now, peace. Thanks for having me. All right, fellas, bye. Yeah, so, for me, but the and this is where the analytics comes back to me. It's like they're holding the analytics is almost a way for them also not to pay pe- people because now with that war, is, I agree. Because with that, a lot of guys because there's no metrics that you can put on a guy's heart. You know what I'm saying? In, in a tough spot, you guys and game IQ. Yeah, you always knew. I'm sure that on all the teams that you were on. A guy that wasn't a regular that you can pull off the bench that would come through in the clutch. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But the analytics wouldn't show that. I mean, uh, analytics doesn't show. Uh, it shows. It doesn't. It shows some, but it doesn't show a lot. I think there's a small percentage, small percentage of the analytics you can go with. Other right. Than I that, agree. Under than that, I very look at small it as, percentage. Exactly. I look at it as human error because you can look at if you go to analytics, right? You see a guy, and I must just say I'm a scout. I go out there and watch a player, and all of a sudden you get a, one guy. He get ten at bats. And he got four or five hits. Right. Okay. You got another guy who only got two hits out of his 10 at bats. But if you look at the analytics on it, this guy, three out of three out of the five hits that he got were broken bat singles with a ball, took well, a bat right, hop. Texas right, right, right. So Yeah, exactly. Took a bat hop or whatever. But on the stats, it's going to say he got, he got five a, hits. Yeah, got, right. That guy did but 500 then today. You got a guy who only got two hits. Hitting seeds at everybody. Seeds. Two of them got through, and the other six of them, Miraculous bam, bam, or some guy went over the wall. Crazy first dive, everything. Oh, exactly. Yeah. He got a hit, but then you're going to look at those two players side by sides. Analytics, you're going to look at the stats. That's all you're going to look say, at. Wow, this guy got five hits. We want that guy. Right. And I'm going to be a scout. I'm like, no, I don't want that guy that got those five hits. Guy might have been two for ten with three ribeyes. Right. He might have he got him but two I'm, sack flies in that as well, you know, something to that effect. But I'm looking at the 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 way he got. So I always say you got to look at the guy's outs sometimes. Yeah. This is what we say. Yeah. Productive. I, I, yeah. I had a great conversation at the stadium with Ron Say. Uh, we were talking about and he was talking about how he tries to drill in these guys' heads. If you strike out 175 times, we the, the conversation led to Rod Carew. And he was talking about how if you strike out 150 times, this is 150 non-productive outs that if literally you just halved that and you had 75 times you put the ball in play, how much more can happen with exactly. those? And then we started talking about guys like a Rod Carew, Tony Gwynn, guys who strike out 30 times a year maybe. Like guys who's like they they're going mm-hmm. to put the ball in play. Believe that. And make somebody make a play. I have to make you make which is why we're so against the the four finger free pass. Yeah. That's eight throws. 
That's eight throws. That this you is need why to... I'm against war, too, though, because I feel like in your What case... is it good for? <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> nothing. Say it again. Good God. War. <laughs> for you, in your case, I feel like war hurts you because if I go and look at your numbers and read off the numbers, I shouldn't. it shouldn't be like, um, um, wow, his, what, 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 what's his war? I don't need to know what your war is. I needed to see the body of work. You stole 622 bases. <laughs> you had a 1,528 runs scored, a lifetime batting average of 299, which is unbelievable in itself. Which is unbelievable in the major leagues. And people don't even understand that. You know, you had 2,428 hits. Where? What else do they want? What is Let's the criteria? Uh, okay. Let me tell you something. They don't, don't even sleep. How about them sneaky bombs? Yeah. <laughs> sneaky got him, got bombs. Him, got him 130. 130. <laughs> he's not, he's 130, 130 for a leadoff? Come on, man. 130. Are you crazy? That's good money. That's good money, Kenny. I think that, good you money. know, because if people went back to the way, I know that I, it's like old school or whatever, but if they go back to the way that you guys used to play the game, if a team comes back like that, like the Astros actually did. This is did. what the Astros did. The Astros this is what the did Royals that. did. Exactly. This is what, to a certain degree, this is what Boston did recently. And the Giants. And this is definitely what the Giants did. And the that Giants. Giants team was not supposed to beat the, the Tigers team. The that Texas was Rangers, hitting. all of those. They weren't, all of those teams that they ran through, they had pitching, they had defense, and they put balls in play. Well, so I always say small ball always can win in, especially in the playoffs. When pitching gets tight. When the pitching gets tight. You don't need because again, how many times you gonna see a dominant pitcher face a dominant hitter? Who's gonna come out on top? The pitcher. The pitcher is right. on a on a, on a long bar hitter percent because, of the time. <laughs> and the reason why, and the only that the twenty percent, like you're saying, is a mistake yes. that that pitcher threw that make this guy, the big guy, hit a home run. Yep. Okay, but other yep. than that, he's gonna strike him out. Yep. He's going to get him out because, again, that's... The way that he wants to get him out. The, exactly. the way he wants to get him, exactly. And yes. the thing about whether it is... he wants to strike him out and make him double up make or, whatever, roll over, it is, roll or whatever. whatever it is. So what I always try to say when I got to the plate, I always say, okay, I knew what this guy was good at. Just like when people say, if you look at the stat, how did I, I crush uh, Chuck Finley? Lefty, oh, he had the nasty. Dirty, yeah. He had so so. I'm glad you said that word. He had the dirtiest split finger. Yeah, yeah that was Chuck Finley. Finley. We, man, then, we grew up Chuck Finley was in Anaheim, so, dealing on folds, and not a for lot of years they had that split piece. Yeah, exactly. So for me, I looked at it as what is his nasty pitch, split right. finger. So I'm telling myself, if it's that nasty, Don't I can't hit swing it. On it. Right. Yeah. I can't hit it. So why swing at it? Right. And I see guys try to challenge and try to swing at a nasty pitch. I and watch fastballs go right down so, the middle. I tell myself, I can't hit. Why swing at something that I can't hit? That's his pitch. That's his pitch. So I let it go. I tell myself, if you throw three nasty split fingers for a strike, I tip I'm, my hat. I, yeah, I'm going back to the dugout. I tip my hat to back. you and walk back. And I see guys still try to hit the pitch. That's And if most guys' nasty pitch is not a strike. Yeah, exactly. And I knew that going in against mm-hmm. Chuck Finley. I'm like, dirt. You gonna put this in the dirt. Once right. I see any kind of little, because split finger comes in, kind of like a knuckleball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can see the dance a little bit, dance and it, and it, it dies. Yeah. So I'm saying to myself, I see any kind of dance, I'm off. I'm, I'm letting staying it go. Off. Yeah. I don't care if it's a strike. I still probably can't hit it anyway. Right. So just tell myself right away if you're throwing a dance and nasty pitch, I'm not swinging. So all of a sudden he tries to nasty, nasty. Now the all now, now he's the, down two zero. Now the count, the count is in my favor. So now he throws the fastball and bam, base hit the left field. You and know, he's in trouble. Exactly. Now <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on first. Yeah, but what you've shown and what you just spoke about right now is an approach. 
Why? <laughs> imagine. These guys, imagine no, a Major League Baseball player having an approach to an at bat. There is no way that you can tell me that you can move everybody to one side of the field and you can't get a hit. I don't care. It's, it's so disrespectful. I mean, I know that guys throw 100 miles an hour in the league all day long now and everything. Eventually, I will make contact and I can hit a little dribbler that even if it didn't make it down to the third base bag that I would be able to get on first. Guys do not want to make an adjustment because you are not – see, what's going on in this game today – you are not getting paid to hit base hits. No. This game is telling all the players from the minor leagues all the way up, you're going to get paid to hit home runs. To slug. And that's what they try Doubles to do. Doubles and bombs. I have see one guy. I go out there and watch the Dodgers and watch Billingsley or Bellinger or whatever. Bellinger. Oh, the, Bellinger. Don't oh, even. Don't even. <laughs> you, that's yeah. me, that's don't, don't, don't get me started. <laughs> so, don't even get me started. I mean. It looks would, bad sometimes, right? Yeah, it does. I mean, And the kid has. Bad. Here's the worst part about it. I don't even tools. fully blame it on this kid because I believe he, he, he doesn't have a lot of contact. I believe he has four tools. He has speed. He has plenty of pop. He actually plays decent defense. The problem with the defense is he's actually playing out of position. Out of position yeah. He's a first baseman. They, you do, they have mean, him ranked now. As one of the highest ranked defensive this is center the fielders most, in this baseball. Is the most absurd. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Come I on, man. I just watched it on MLB you, Network. I was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? They have him ranked as in this the top ten. This guy's diving for balls. You would have seen him in the World Series. We did. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You did. Yeah, I was in the front yeah. row. My uh, man. And watch the picture. The picture's like, this? oh, my goodness. In both World Series. <laughs> in both we World Series. We were talking about it that one time. Yeah. We were sitting there. Like, are you kidding me? This kid refuses. You, the, the guy pulls out a softball swing at a certain point because you've taken his confidence to a point, and hitters understand the number one thing you can take away from me is my confidence. If, if you take my confidence, I might as well not even have a bat up there, right. to be honest. Right. And you saw it with him in the Astros series. The Astros are the first one because he came up, he hit the 37 bombs, took a minute for them to write a book on him in the show, and by, by September and October, they wrote the book, and all of a sudden – all he saw was pitches that were dancing. He didn't know what to do. And, then they and it got right to the him. point where they were throwing cheese right by him. What a thing he had one game where he was successful, where he started to go the other way. See, and that's the thing. You got to teach a guy that hit the ball the other way. And with, with, with Bellinger. Bellinger, Bellinger right? yep. All you have to do to get him out, you just elevate the fastball. Elevate the he fastball and throw the off speed low and away. Now, now, and he has no – he refuses to adjust. Now, speaking of that, this is another analytic thing which makes me sick because you watch him. On the on-deck circle, all of these guys are looking for launch angle. They they're sure on, are. They're on deck uppercutting. Uppercutting. It's unbelievable. And you're thinking – I'm thinking to myself like, wow, you don't think that the pitcher can tell that you're trying to uppercut the ball? From Charlie Lau – to Jackie Robinson, to everybody else that's ever hit a lot of hits, everybody tells you to swing down on the ball and make the ball use science to have backspin to make the ball explode. Unless you're just a big giant guy like an Aaron Judge and doesn't matter what you do. So I'm saying a pitcher to this day. I'm trying to think of his first name. His last name was Young. Okay. He was with San Diego, I think. Chris, Chris Young. Young. Chris Big Chris. Young. Like Big Chris. 16. So yep. Big Chris in today's game, oh my he will be dominant. He would and be he dominant didn't throw and didn't even throw hard. He, but again, he knew how to elevate his fastball. Sure That's all he did. He got people out. Because like, he was 16. And yeah. he also had a lot to do with his height. And he had an elevated fastball. In today's game, with these guys swinging uppercut. They can't get to it. He would be a star in this game. And <laughs> yeah. he was... He was he was decent. He was a good pitcher. Uh-huh. Actually, he been a star. I think he his- actually had a renaissance late in his career, which is when the game started to really shift Changing in in Kansas City, right? Isn't well, that where he Kansas wrapped City up? Or Texas, one of them. But I he had a renaissance. Remember, because but- it was it was late, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it was like I remember calling you, being like, "Man, Chris Young is dealing nowadays." <laughs> Chris Long- Young, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. kind of weird. Cause I'm like to seeing him. I'm like, wow. 
he elevated and he was tough because I mean when I face him I'm like man that elevated fastball a little tricky <laughs> yeah and it's right in your eyes too right? yeah and you yeah. swinging downward but it still got tricky I was able to still make contact and a lot of times I swung at a ball exactly because that little thing elevated just a hair but if you That's can enough. tomahawk it you can still get on it you can get on but if it, you're trying to launch uppercut. angle uppercut you got no chance he will kill the launch <laughs> he kill the, angle he kills the launch angle today, today's game there's so many pitchers now I mean guys that already have stupid numbers if they pitch now if Pedro Martinez pitch now Pedro's number. Pedro, you might listen pitch. to John Smoltz talking about. You it. talk about, yeah. You listen to John Smoltz in the booth. Oh, he was smart. Yeah, he, uh, man, he, he breaks you down crazy? everybody's swing. Yeah, he, he breaks down everybody's swing. And, you, and and Smoltz will tell you, you know, he'll say, you know what, I'm gonna keep throwing it to you until you hit it. I need to see. Why and not? If you I need one, to see. I'm gonna see if you you got hit it again. If you hit it again, that's what Smoltz would do to these games. To this games, you know, guys today, he would say, you know what. I'm going to consistently throw it up there and make you make an adjustment. That's it. He was talking about how to get Aaron Judge out. He was talking about busting him in and, and actually buzzing him under his chin a little bit. Because no, dude, that's, that's, a, that's against the rules now. That's against the rules now, Dave. We have to be, you know. Well, I saw a thing where I know Barry in his situation of smokes, but I was in the game where <laughs> I was with San Francisco and we placed when we faced the um, um, the, the Braves. Uh-huh. So before the game, because I guess the, the day before, yeah, the day before, because the next day, Smokes was pitching, so they're out in the outfield, whatever. Uh, talking, whatever. And talking trash, and yep. Smokes stole Barry. He's like, I'm going to come right at you. And Barry said, don't be doing that crap to me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right? So the next day, he came up. The first pitch, Smokes buzzed about 94, 95, hit his chin. Under his chin. <laughs> Boom. And he looked back, and whatever, he stepped back. And the next pitch, he tried to do it again. And Barry said, not the ballpark. <laughs> Oh, really? Wow. It went on the ball for like three seconds. <laughs> I mean, I've never, honest to God, I've never, ever seen somebody hit the ball like Barry Bonds. He like, never misses pitch. He, no, he, he never, if there was a period where he never misses pitch for so, about five years. So I'm sitting there next to Reggie Sanders on the, on the bench. He's like, yeah, Reggie Sanders. Wow. wow, did you just see that? I was like, yeah, did you just see that? He buzzed him 94 underneath the chin, and then the ball came over the plate just slightly. Same. He was trying to buzz him again. But it didn't work. But it just, didn't get in there. And then Barry just took them hands like, whap. And was, I mean, two seconds out the ball. Wow. Brad Penny told me one of my favorite baseball stories ever. He said, he said his rookie year, it was him, Josh Beckett, and A.J. Burnett, and they threw gas. Yeah, All three of them, they, them yeah. boys got it done. And they went to the World Series mm-hmm. and won the World Series. Mm-hmm. He said they were playing San Francisco, and they had all just came up, and they, so they were all idolized Barry Bonds, and they and all three of them they were they say he, just like that he said they were pitching they were they were all outside in the outfield watching Barry Bonds take BP, and then they they all went into the bullpen, and he they they all said I'm getting Bonds I'm I'm striking Bonds out I don't, I don't care what you guys are talking about watch this and they're all country boys I do believe they're like I'm getting Bonds you watch me I'm getting Bonds, Brad told me, literally. Back to back to business, a three game series. He took Beckett deep, then he took AJ deep, then he took Brad deep. I think Brad said he might have got him twice. <laughs> he said he Brad was like he was like I've never seen anything like. He said I'm telling you, I have never seen a hitter like this in my life. He said you could not get this guy out if he decided he was going deep. That was it. Yeah, it was it was interesting just to watch. Man, wow, it's like. Wow, this is <laughs> this is Android level. He's taking. He's, so, who's the toughest pitcher you face? I mean, people laugh at me, whatever. But the, I mean, the one guy who I just couldn't hit, and he didn't throw. You know, that major was Eric Hansen. Yeah, I really, uh-huh. I couldn't hit him. But the toughest pitcher, people think it was Randy, but I always tell people it was Al Leiter. Really, he threw a ninety-four mile hour sinker <laughs> and then a ninety-four hour cutter. 
Sorry, so I was trying oh, to figure out which yeah. one. So actually, was so, so, so actually, we we had a we I did a, a NBM MLB show. I didn't know I had three triples off of him. Oh wow, wow. Yeah, but again, I figured it out is that I got off the plate. Mm-hmm. Back. Mm. So I said, "Stop jamming yourself." So I stopped jamming myself with the sinker because mm-hmm. it was hard. It break your, it it'd break, break, it'd break your wrist. Yeah, it'd break everything. <laughs> it's yeah. Like somebody threw a weight on your hand. Yeah. <laughs> so I told myself, again, that's me. Preparation, right. thinking an about approach. an approach to how to get up, get you know, get him, get off the plate, and say if it throws it inside, I don't swing. But if he throws it a little away, it's going to be the cutter. Yeah. So stay every, with it. So I stay with it, and it was all my triples was to left center. You got in that alley. You uh-huh. got, yeah, got in the alley. Uh-huh. But again, I learned. I'm like, wow. and again, he was tough because I'm like, man, that sinker is hard in. Heavy. Yeah, it was a heavy sinker. But then the cutter was, you can kind of see it out there. But a lot of people don't know or understand how to make the adjustments. Of course. Mm-hmm. And I just learned how to make adjustments. Already said, you know, like I said, certain things you can't try to hit. Every pitcher's all his pitches. Right. You got you got to give it. You got to give the. You got to give your hat tip your hat to certain pitches. He's in the he major has. leagues for a reason. Exactly. Yeah, and, pitch. And, and Al Leiter has a bowling ball that he brings to the stadium yes. every time. Oh, oh, even. Yeah, it was heavy, man. But yeah. but I I just figured it out. Just that off the plate. And if he throws it too far away, I can't do nothing with it anyway. That's why I always told people, Randy Johnson was the not as smart. As a pitcher, when he faced me, mm-hmm. okay, dude, I was way in the back of the batter's box, you know, away from him, away from the plate, right. And he still wants to throw it inside, <laughs> dude. That's right down the middle for me, right? right. right. I've you made an adjustment. If he if he throws the ball on the outside corner, I had no chance, right? But he didn't do that. But an ego thing at that point. I yeah. guess so. Because I don't he's know. He's committed to getting you out the way he wants to get you out. I'm Randy Johnson. <laughs> I, get I, get you out. <laughs> I get people out on the inside. You know, he intimidated me by throwing at me, but I was like, you're going to throw at me. But again, you're going to, you're going to, you know, if you're going to throw at me, you better throw it four times at me because I'm going to be on first base. And then two pitches later, I'm going to be on third base. Because right. you're going to have a problem. So, 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 so you have no side step. <laughs> <laughs> so either you're going to try to get me out. Long. You're going to try to get me out by throwing it on the outside, or you're going to try to get me out by throwing it inside. That's, that's Didn't make sense. It didn't make any sense. But, again, it showed, and I did well against you. You broke Seattle Fudge's heart. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all about making adjustments. Nah, man. Well, let me tell you something. I really appreciate you coming on, bro. Yeah. I mean that. This is it's great. Like we said, yeah. big fans of yours. And, and I told you that the very first time I met you, I was pumped. I mean, first time I saw you, I came uh-huh. home. I told you, like, you'd never believe what I just played poker with. <laughs> for real, for real. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you know, next week we're going to have another topic for you. We'll, we'll discuss the rest of the fights and discuss what happened with the fights. You know something I wanted to talk to you about what? was, uh, did you either of you guys get a chance to read the article that just came out about Tim Donahue's overall the 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 ref that was fixing I games. Know who Tim Donahue is Tim Donahue. They've actually done a more thorough investigation, and it is shocking. It's a really? great article. If you get a chance to read this article, we'll talk about it in depth. It's going to require a long conversation. Really? Yeah, because basically what you come to find was Tim Donahue was almost like the front man for a multi-million dollar organization that he didn't even know that was making the kind of money off of him that was they were making. It became a key point of the mafia's uh, income strategy. Wow. Yes. We'll we'll unpack that. We we don't have time to get into it now. And uh, and then by then we should be able to discuss the Lakers and everybody's really putting a lot of pressure on King James at this point. 
And uh, yeah, he, he didn't design that roster. Yeah, well, hey, he's King James. You don't, you don't come. You don't, you don't get the best to not make the playoffs, ladies and gentlemen. You don't get them. Obviously, you do. <laughs> but, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Ozone with our special guest, Kenny Lofton. Kenny, tell the people where they can find you if they want to follow you. Well, they can follow me. I'm on Twitter under I think it's Kenny underscore Lofton seven, and I'm on Facebook under my name, and I'm under Instagram. But again, I'm. I'm just doing my movies, right? People can go out and, 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 and buy my movie. It's on um, Amazon Prime Videos. What's it called? It's called Choco. It's a woman's okay. underground MMA fighting movie. Okay. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty Choco, good. Choco, ladies and Choco. gentlemen. Amazon Prime Video, if you have it, you can get on there and check it out. It's produced by Kenny Lofton. Uh, that's great, man. Yeah. So it just came out recently. Yeah, it just came out. We had I had it in a few theaters. That's why I was in New York and okay. ended up doing that that interview, and it turned into be something else. But um, it was all about the movie Chokehold. I was we had it in a few theaters there. We had it in Chicago. We had it in Cleveland, Phoenix, nice. Tucson, and now Amazon picked it up and wanted to have they own it. Fun traveling with movies. It is, but it's a lot of work. Oh, sure. people have no idea. It's hard you know, work. It's a lot hard of work, work and trying to get people to come out and try to get the the buzz. Right now, we're just trying to get the buzz on the movie that is out so it can go to that next level. And the beautiful thing is is that it's made. You know, this is intellectual yeah. property. Once you have the film, it's there. It's, yeah. it's not going anywhere. Right. It's yours. You own it, and it will be out. And it, whenever it catches traction and momentum, hopefully we can help to promote it here. Yeah. But whenever it catches traction and momentum, it's still there. It's beautiful. Beautiful. You got anything else to add? That's it. All right, folks, I'm your host, Omar Miller. This is the Ozone. I want to leave you with a quote from Oliver Wendell Holmes. It is the province of knowledge to speak, and it is the privilege of wisdom to listen. We're going to sit here and do a little karaoke with Kenny on his Instagram page. Yeah, this is the Ozone. Ozone. I'm living the dream. I'm in love with the lights. This is my